Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director here with Mara Levinsky, senior editor. Hi, everyone. Now, Mara, we have often talked on this podcast about soap stories that we have loved over the years. So there have been so many good ones, we could probably actually devote an entire episode to discussing which we love best. But there's certainly the other side of it. You know, those stories we wish we could like burn from our brains, ones that we simply wish were never told. So in this week's issue, we spotlight 16 of them. Um, We mixed both new and old stories. You know, for example, like Chase raping Sierra on days made the list. I mean, not only did we call it the worst story of 2016, but they did it on the couch of the Horton House, perhaps the most sacred furniture piece in the studio, save for Alice's chair. I mean, it was all just gross and unnecessary. Yeah, that was definitely an indefensible storyline choice, in my opinion, as well. And it wasn't like there was some great social issue message attached to it that, like, would have gone some way toward elevating it. Uh, I think the same can be said of another rape that made our list, the rape of Laura by Luke on GH back in 1979. Mm -hmm. Uh, Among our arguments there is that uh, because the show pressed forward with a Luke-Laura pairing— There was some problematic backpedaling done to try to recast what was clearly a rape as a seduction, which earned the show some well-deserved criticism. We sort of make the case that Luke and Laura could have and really should have become a super couple without a sexual assault in their origin story. And when it came to GH, there were some obvious things to single out in more recent years, because I think the fans have spoken loud and clear about how they sort of wish they could wave a magic wand and undo Julian holding a knife to Alexis's throat. Mm -hmm. And also the idea that Anna gave birth to Faison's son. Right. Um, You know, you have to wonder if there's any discussion about what the audience reaction will be or any concern that the risk isn't worth the reward, if you will. You know, it'll probably be a good feature to talk to writers and find out the stories they wish they hadn't told. I know we try to get that from them, you know, like on the way out, and they're usually loath to share, but some certainly have, and I'm sure they all have one. I mean, remember when Maureen Bauer was killed off of Guiding Light? I mean, that did not go over well at all with Mm -hmm. the audience or with us. And I can't imagine that in hindsight, the powers that be thought that was a sound story call. There was definitely good story that came out of it, but Maureen was like the heart of Springfield. I mean, it was so awful when it happened. I still remember watching it happen and just 
wanting to like crawl into some sort of hole <laughs> or get amnesia. Um, I would think that like Maureen's death on, on Guiding Light and Frankie Frame's death on Another World, like if there was an award for the most ill-advised character death, it might be a tie between those two. Now, unlike Maureen, uh, Frankie's death took place on screen. Oh, yeah. And it was like extremely graphically violent and gory. It's like you know, by and large, soap operas are designed to be enjoyed by a female audience. And it was just a wild miscalculation to think that a female audience would enjoy watching the brutal murder of a beloved female character who was a young mother to boot. Mm-hmm, think. Um, but going back to what you were saying about writers' personal regrets, stories they wish they hadn't told, um, both Jean Passanante and Shelley Altman, upon their retirements as GH head writer in 2017 and 2019, respectively, told me some of theirs. And I would say they they pretty well lined up with how fans seem to feel. Mm-hmm. For instance, Jean said she regretted uh, killing off Reed Oliver, who was Luke's love interest at the end of As the World Turns. And she also regretted Julian trying to kill Alexis. <laughs> I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but I always remember an insight Jean shared with me once, which is that soaps are a first draft medium, that you have to hope your first idea is a good idea because there probably isn't going to be time to second guess and revise. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories like we as critics call out as mistakes, you know, we have to assume they sounded good at the time to someone. <laughs> and because soaps are such a story eating medium uh, with so many episodes per year, there likely wasn't time to pause, reflect and say, you know what, we we should not kill off this person or have this person try to kill that person, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Well, then you have days where it doesn't matter if you kill someone off, it seems they could just always come back. <laughs> you know, we actually put Bo's recent death on the list of stories we wish had never been told. And it's interesting because that seems to be the one they're sticking with. You know, if only they had just showed the audience that Bo was alive, they could have saved like the whole scenario. You know, let Hope and the rest of Salem think he's dead, but let us know that he's alive and we could still hold out hope that Peter Reckle could return. And, you know, that story was also told much too quickly. You know, Bo had barely been back like a week before he found out he had an inoperable brain tumor and then he died. And it was all kind of a very disappointing end for fans. Yeah. To play devil's advocate on that one, I can see why it may have seemed like a good idea to like definitively bring Bo's life to a close to give a greater shot at viability for Hope's future pairings. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't excuse the like Zero to 60, we saw with Bo returning and dying within such a blink and you missed it time frame. But I can understand, at least on paper, why it may have been done. But I don't think it has worked. Like, I, I mean, Hope is Gina at the moment, but it's not like her love life was going gangbusters before that happened. Yes, totally true. And I also understand why they did it. But now, since every other person pretty much has returned from the dead, like no must, no fuss, it just seems like a glaring omission that Bo is still dead. Right. So a current story that it's fair to say has fans divided is Thomas's journey on Bold and Beautiful. Um, our guest today is Thomas's portrayer, Matthew Atkinson, who I'm sure will have a lot to say about the motivations of his alter ego. So let's get him on the phone. Hi, Matthew. Hey there, Stephanie. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Always. Anytime you need me, I'm here. Wonderful. Answer all your questions every day. We have a lot. Um, I mean, there is really just so much going on with Thomas these days. There is so much going on with Thomas. He just keeps uh, putting himself into every situation he can, it seems. Yeah. Okay, good for you. Um, Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning of B&B or your B&B experience. So what did you know about Thomas when you came in for the role? 
Um, well, I guess from the beginning, I kind of knew about the role years and years ago um, because it's – I mean obviously this role has been on the show since Thomas was born but then uh, was made uh, more popular or more um, famous uh, by actors in their teens and, and then in, into their 20s. I mean uh, – and so when the role came out, I remember auditioning around and, and there was, I think the first time the role came out uh, and they were looking for someone that I actually read the breakdown for the character um, was years and years ago. And I think I was already on a show and I was under contract for a pilot. Um, and, uh, but I read the role and said, Hey, I, this, this character is perfect for me. So if, if it comes around again, or if they can't find someone and this this show doesn't go, or whatever, uh, uh, let's let's try and see if we can make a meeting happen. And um, and then I think it was a couple years later when um, I had already been on uh, Young and the Restless for for a year, and um, I kind of as, as soon as I I left Young and the Restless, there was a, a time when I went to the office and kind of met Brad Bell. Um, and kind of shook his hand and just talked to him for a few minutes. And he said, Hey, I've been watching you over at YR and, uh, you're doing some great work. And, and I told him that I, I loved B and B and all the cast. Cause I'd kind of met them from across the hall and nothing really came of that. It was just sort of like a, it was nice to, to meet him and he's a really sweet guy. And then, uh, this role came out again. Uh, uh, and I, I came in and read for it. I actually met with, uh, Lindsay cause I knew Lindsay, uh, Godfrey at the time, and uh, we we were we hung out a lot, especially when I was uh, hanging out uh, across the hall. You know, we all had mutual friends, and so we'd all end up hanging out. And um, and so I got together with her and kind of talked about the role for a little while, and then uh, went in and um, and read for the role and 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 talked to to Brad about it and everything. And um, and there was a, I think there was a multitude of factors at that point in time for why uh, they they ended up casting Pearson, uh, who is a really sweet guy and and a great actor, and so um, it just worked out better I think for everyone then. And it's it's kind of interesting how these things happen because you know then it's a couple of years later I've done a few more things I'd been working on something and this role started to appear again. And my manager called me and said, Hey, I think that role is going to be available. And we know that you're right for that role. We know that Brad loves you for that role. So why don't, you know, let's set something up. And, and we did. And I read with Annika and it just was like, it just was a fit. Third time's you know I mean. a charm. Oh, sorry about that. In the background, you're going to hear, uh, you're going to hear people coming in saying, Hey, we need to get you on set and stuff. Cause I'm in uh, the room on, on the stages. It's so. bringing some soap set realism here. <laughs> exactly. we like it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of how it happened, how it progressed. It was years in the making and, and it wasn't, it was just kind of effortless when I came in and, and I read with Annika and we talked about the role and, um, you know, I, I just kind of knew that if I was going to be on bold, that, that that was probably my role. And, um, and Brad agreed and, and luckily we were able to make something happen. And, and now it's just been uh, nonstop ever since. So at the point that like you became Thomas, what were you told about like where he was in his life? I mean, it was very general. And I think that they, they do that on purpose. So uh, I've noticed that with a lot of uh, soaps, especially because even the sides that I read, I'm pretty sure were sides written for Liam and Steffi. And I just happened to read them with Annika and, and they were just kind of dummy sides, you know, just here's a situation and we just want to see what you can do with it. And they also had seen me, you know, work before. Um, 
and what I, you know, kind of my range and what I could do. And, and, and I think that, uh, Brad was excited about that. But when we moved forward, um, I, you know, I, I basically, I think for a reason, they were still figuring it out. Um, I think that he had a bunch of ideas for what he wanted to do with the character. Um, but wasn't a hundred percent on exactly how to execute them. And, uh, once we started playing and, you know, I got the set and it was sort of, you know, we have these, these circumstances, Caroline has passed and Thomas is in mourning and he comes back with his son. And from there, these relationships sort of progress, you know, there's the, the history with hope and her needing a child and him, him having a child that needs a mother. And I think that that became a perfect fit, but from there, it sort of just progressed one, one week at a time. And, um, and man, it's been uh, <laughs> quite a roller coaster. Oh, it has been. Now, did you have any idea at that point or any hint that he was going to have a dark side? Uh, yeah, I mean, we we kind of we did touch on that, and and I, I, it, but for me, most of that was in discussing. We weren't talking about a um, you know a psychotic, crazy person. What we we're talking about is someone who's going through a, a person who's good at heart who's always been on this show i mean we've we have a lot of history with this character but uh i think it's a guy who's good at heart who's very very lost and was lost from his childhood and has had issues in the past but uh they all came to the surface and he felt like he not only did he not have the the father's validation that he wanted from his childhood and he's kind of wandering around the validation that he got from this this woman that he was with Caroline and had a son with uh, disappeared as well. And I think that this is just a guy who found himself uh, very, very vulnerable and very, very alone and didn't know how to deal with it. And, you know, the I don't, I don't think we all have been in situations where we end up uh, thinking that we can handle anything that comes at us, but then we realize at, at some point, maybe we're just not as prepared or, or think we can deal with it. And I think that happened to Thomas. And from there, it progressed from there. I don't think it was like, here's this crazy guy who's going to come back on the show. I think it started more as here's this guy who's really lost and here's all this history and he's going to start losing himself and then losing his, his own moral code and how he should act. And it just, it becomes an obsessive need to uh, to the one certainty he's clinging on to. Well, was there a point for you where you were like, oh, this guy's kind of crazy? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously there are, there are times when, when scripts came out. I think the first thing, you, you know, I, the way that I work, I kind of, okay, so first I'll read all the scripts for the week. And so then I see what's going to happen. I just read them objectively as a viewer sort of. Um, and so that when I read them objectively as a viewer, obviously, my, my initial reaction with a lot of the things Thomas ended up doing, saying, thinking, uh, the shots that were going to be taken that were, they were in the script about the obsessive nature of, of what he was thinking about hope and, and especially when it became uh, him, him really losing himself after the Beth Seeker coming out and, and, uh, you know, Douglas, uh, obviously taking out his, his insane frustrations on Douglas, the one person he would never hurt in, in his entire life. And now it, it almost becomes real that he could. Um, but I think all that, so as a viewer, 
as a as a, just reading the script objectively, I definitely saw that and went, oh man, Thomas is going nuts. <laughs> but then I start doing the work and you know, as an actor, what I have to do is empathize with the character. I mean, otherwise, I'm, I'm definitely not good at my job because everyone thinks they're doing something right. No one thinks that they're doing the wrong thing. They don't choose to do the wrong thing. They choose to do what they think is the right thing given the circumstances. And so I have to find out why that person thinks that way. And there's a lot of history with this this guy that gives him justification in a thousand different ways to – kind of lose it and lose himself. And um, so when it came to the actual process, I wasn't thinking about that at all. But yeah, definitely when I first read it, I was like, wow, this guy is nuts. I hope you live. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's interesting. Like, I think that there is a a natural inclination to to want to be liked by the audience. But I think that there Mm -hmm. definitely have been moments like when, you know, we saw the cold look in Thomas's eyes as he watch that car, um, where I think B&B is telling the audience it's okay to not like this guy. I'm curious for you, like, is it a struggle for you at all to like lean into and even embrace the bad guy role that Thomas is is occupying on the canvas? Not at all. I, that's, that's something that's never bothered. I know that there's a lot of people, um, who get kind of caught up in that. Um, honestly, I, (laughs) to me, there's a complete separation. Uh, and maybe that's just a, a good way of compartmentalizing in my head, but um, I I see the character as the character, and people's views about the character has nothing to do with me. So I never take that personally. Very healthy. And, and the honest truth is, is that is <laughs> if they hate me, that's good for me, Matt. You know what I mean? Like because mm-hmm. if if they hate me, that means first of all I'm doing my job well, but I'm also I'm I'm getting emotions out of people. I mean that's that's one of the draws to acting is 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 making people feel. And sometimes that's making people feel really good. Sometimes it's getting people angry. Sometimes it's making people laugh. And so if you're able to get a rise out of people, that means you're doing your job well and uh it's it's more it's riveting to watch for them because if they get pissed at you, that means that they were watching you and enthralled in what was happening. And that's all we can really ask for as actors to to do is to is to give you a real scenario and hope that you see it as the scenario that we're giving you and not as, you know, a couple actors playing a scene. Um so for me, I, I no, I I'd love that. I love when people get pissed off at Thomas and start screaming at the screen and you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is not boring. We can say that. <laughs> That's good. Good. Okay. Um, now, do you ever watch the show um, on air to see how like the scenes of or the moments of Thomas, like just staring at Hope's eyes or staring at her lips, the way they do those extreme close ups play mm-hmm. out? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because and I've always been like this since the beginning. Now, they, in the scripts, they do write that stuff. So I know that that's what they're going to do. Um, but I I basically cross all that out and ignore it completely. Um, and, and in the way that the scene has to be real, you know, and if I'm playing something like that, like I need to give all the looks and da da da, then it's, it's never going to work because you're not going to believe it. It's just not real. However, um, I'm sure, you know, there's times every man has, has been in a conversation with a woman and, and who he finds attractive, who, who he goes, wow, he just kind of checks her out while she's not looking at you. And the same is true for girls that look at a guy and they find him very attractive and they'll, you know, kind of check him out while they, so, so I think that I just bring that kind of 
those real moments into those scenes when, say, Annika is talking, you know, and, and, and I'm look and Thomas is looking at Hope and he just kind of takes her in. And when they the, the way that they cut it makes it look much more extreme than how it actually played out. If you're standing uh, with uh, the crew members watching the scene take place, it wouldn't be this, you know, over the top, constant, like obsessive lust. But it gives you a sense into what Thomas is thinking, and he can't stop thinking about her. And when he's around her, he can't stop looking at her. Um, so I kind of, <laughs> I guess it's a roundabout way of of my process for those sort of scenes. Um, because honestly, I'm just not the per- I like. I, I I don't like objectification of women. I don't like the objectification of men. I don't for that purpose. Um, but. People do things, and and these are honest things that people do. So, how do we find the real moment in that, so that they can shoot it, so that they can show the audience what they want them to see? Which is, you know, I mean, they, they, obviously they're going to focus on Thomas looking at her and looking at her lips and kind of taking in her her figure and being attracted to her. Um, I don't think that's crazy. Um, I think that's something that people do, uh, but. The way you shoot it, obviously, right. when you when you cut into those close ups and then straight into Thomas's eyes and it's this, that and the other and you focus on those moments, it does give a, a much a bigger sense of importance to those moments, um, which is, you know, that's up for the directors and and uh, producers to to do and to to create because they're 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 creating the story along with us. And, you know, they want to show certain things and not show other things because they want the audience to focus here and not there. And, um, but it's just, it's my job to just come in and do it and make it as real as possible. Now, what has uh, the fan reaction been like for you? You said you, you enjoy getting a rise out of the audience. Have you had any memorable, like in-person encounters, uh, thus far from B and B fans with something to say oh, about Thomas? Yeah. Well, what, you know, is what's an overwhelming thing about, about the fans, um, for me has been this, I've heard, I think more than anything else, I've heard, I love to hate you. Mm-hmm. I think that it's like the the resonating thing I've heard from so many people. They, they hate this character, but they love that it's so interesting. There's something addictive about it to watch, you know, it's like there's those, 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 uh, drama moments on certain TV shows that it's like you can't help but get enthralled by and but for so it's like you know objectively you look at it and go I, I you know I, I shouldn't care that much but if, if I'm getting that rise out of people that's a good thing it goes back to what I said before but I think that that that's the the most common thing most most fans that I've met with have been incredibly sweet they're all uh wonderful whether they hate the character Thomas or they love the character Thomas um they've all been incredibly sweet and very supportive of uh you know my kind of take on this role um, now, Omar and I have talked on the podcast before about how great we think Henry Samiri is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So first of all, tell us about working with him and how does it feel for you when Thomas has to be mean to Douglas in those scenes? Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I love Henry to death. Uh, he's the sweetest kid in the world. And we, we have like a real relationship in real life now. Like we have this great I don't know if it's an older brother, younger brother sort of relationship or if it's like a, I don't know, a cool uncle relationship. But 
uh, he's such a fun kid and he, he, you know, he's such a sweet kid too. And he's so smart and he's got, uh, he, he's, he's just fun and he loves to play and he's so into music and all this. He's just a really awesome person. It's so cool to see, you know, this, this guy who's, you know, only a few years old, like this guy's, you know, he's going to grow into a whole human being <laughs> and, but, but seeing him every day and how he kind of, you know, how he's changing, how he's growing. I mean, from the first day of shooting with him to now, there's this massive growth that we've seen, not just in him as a person, but as in him as an actor. And as far as like shooting those, those, I mean, I, I mean, I love him. <laughs> I love so him as a person. And so when we shoot those kind of scenes where Thomas has gone completely crazy, I mean, the, the, the headspace I had to get myself to, it's not an easy headspace to, to live in, but also in between each scene, I would get done with a scene and then I would, you know, get down with him and, and just talk to him and say, Hey, you know, this is fake and, and this isn't real and I don't feel this way and I'm not angry. And he's like, he doesn't care. Like he honestly, no, none of it phases him. It's like all make believe fun. Like he would, he would, you know, he's like, yeah, of course. He's like, yeah, no big deal. And he'll just start playing, you know, throw me a ball and then we'll just toss a ball for 10 minutes. And then we start shooting the next scene. And then like at the end of that scene, after I, you know, break down as a bawling mess after I just screamed at him. He's like, he's like, Hey, that was a really good scene. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm causing, uh, uh, major psychological issues. He's going to have to see a therapist when he's 14 about <laughs> these scenes that I shot with him. And in reality, he's just like, you know, it's like throwing yeah. a basketball. <laughs> it's, it's easy. Yeah. So, um, Luckily, that 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 is it because you know I I I've those are really really awful scenes. Probably the hardest scenes I've ever had to do in my entire life. You know, but that that's he's such a sweet kid, and you look at him and you just it's so easy to love him. You know, um, so those are really tough scenes to shoot. But fortunately, he was uh, an awesome partner in those scenes. That's awesome. Definitely, uh, Douglas is going to need therapy, and probably long before fourteen. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, probably he's probably going to need more therapy than Thomas needs, which Thomas has not gotten. <laughs> oh, Taylor's and his not... mom's right yeah, there. Exactly. I know, I know. You would think, you would think, but I think, I think. Well, like with a lot of therapists, I think that you know, it's 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 easy when it's objective. But I think uh, I'll give his mom a pass a little bit because this is her little boy and this is her son, and she. I think your natural inclination is going to be to justify and protect him no matter what, which is not the best way to go about any kind of uh, therapy session. Yeah, I think uh, generally plus, that's discouraged, you know, treating his Yeah, mom. and I don't think Thomas is ever going to – yeah, Thomas is not going to take a therapy session with his mom seriously because it's his mom, you know. Um, yeah, so. So tell us about the working relationship that you have built uh, since coming to the show with, with Annika and Noel. Mm-hmm. I love Annika Noel. She's such a sweet person and she's she's such a unique individual. Um she's uh uh she's from the Northeast. She's very Boston in a lot of ways. She uh is stubborn, but she's so much fun and we have such a great time. Ever since, you know, I mean, we first started working together. She was such an easy person to come on the show and have to share scenes with all the time. I mean, I think my first scenes were with, 
a, a bunch of group scenes with all the all the cast and staff, which is like, come on, guys, that's a little nerve wracking. You're just sending me <laughs> like day one. OK, so you're going to go out, you're going to give a speech in front of all of the actors who have been on the show forever and cry. Uh, and then, <laughs> which was that? It. Yeah, that's like, go ahead, do it. Okay, great. Um, but then after that, it's like I, I did have a lot of scenes with Annika, which was awesome because it was like uh, um, I got to kind of uh, share just sort of my my first experiences, and it's something that she had dealt with recently too. I mean, she came in, she took over the role of an iconic character on this show. And um, had to deal with, you know, uh, learning how to play that and how to do this and, and everything. And, and so she was a great person to, uh, to be stuck in the, uh, in the trenches with making these scenes because uh, it made it a heck of a lot easier. Um, uh, because we, we just understood each other and understood what we were, you know, trying to accomplish and what we came from and, and you know, uh, sort of that. I think once you've been on the show for, 10 years, 15 years, I think a lot of that uh, immediate stress of when you come on to a soap opera is there. I mean, this is, it's, it's like boot camp. I mean, it's like going, it's hell week for, for, you know, uh, I'll never uh, compare the, the strife that we go through to, to, you know, what Navy SEALs have to go through. But what I'm saying is, is that like, it is an, the hardest job as an actor, I think, is to is to do a daytime series, and I've always felt that way before I ever did anything on daytime, and it's it's true now more than ever. And and coming in with someone who um, recently went through that sort of same transition, it was it made it very helpful. And she's such a cool person. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Scott Clifton? Love. Well, okay. So I'm just going to say I love everyone. Okay. I love Scott. Check, I love Torsi. I love Annika. Uh, <laughs> the, no, they're honestly, this is, it's such a cool group of actors because pretty much, I mean, uh, there's, there's not a bad egg, you know, and usually you, even in the whole, in the whole show, I mean, uh, from crew to, to actors to everyone I've met in production. I mean, look, this is a, it's a kind of a still a family run show and, Everyone that they have on here is really awesome and sweet and and cool to be around. Uh, but as far as like Scott, I, I love Scott to death, and um, I think that me and him, I think we love we both love comedy. We love making people laugh, and so I think that adds a little extra fun to the day shoot when I'm able to come in and do scenes with Scott because basically I get to do two things that I love. One is. One thing that I don't get to do very often, which is bring up history with other characters and then call them on their BS, which I get to do with uh, with Scott playing mm-hmm. Liam. Um, I really get to call on him out for all the stuff. And then uh, but then in between scenes, we just make jokes and puns and screw with each other. And and then we go to shoot and then he hates me and I hate him. And I think it just adds this different dynamic uh, that's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. So. You know, they're great. St- they're great scenes between the two of you. Oh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um. So when we have uh, someone from B and B on our podcast, it always seems to come up. And now I'm going to force this issue. Matthew, do you have, and will you do for us, a Torsten K impression? Oh goodness! Really? Okay. <laughs> do you have everyone do this? Yeah, well, we ask everyone if they'll do it. Okay. Everyone well, seems to have one. Yes, that's the thing. It, that's what it, it organically sort of became a thing. 
Well, sure. I mean, he's he's got such. It's like that the guy smoked cigarettes for four hundred years, <laughs> and you know, uh, 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 you know, wrote blues music and was I don't know uh, an, an Irish folk singer for his early twenties, and then lived in <laughs> Germany for you know a few years under the the guy. I don't know. It's just like he's he's such a unique person. Uh, and I think he's so interesting to watch because of that. And, and, you know, just with his voice, not only his voice, but he has an accent and there's this, you know, there's something you just, you're trying to pinpoint what it is about him. And and he's just such a unique person. Um, as far as impressions go, let's see. So, uh, (laughs) how, um, what's tough. Okay. So it's tough to do a, a Torsten K impression without, uh, I don't throw him under the bus, but a little bit of uh, profanity. Uh, <laughs> do you guys? Uh, what, what's the? They what's can, your? They can, uh, they can bleep the word. <laughs> they can bleep the word. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because bleeps actually are funny, so that'll, that'll help my impression. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, all right. So, so Torsten comes in the scenes. And he's, Hey Matthew, how you doing? Uh, it's doing good. Okay, so let's uh, let's run the scene. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thomas, uh, what the f- are you doing? Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, Brooks over here is this hot piece of. F-ing. Oh man, you know, I, I, uh, uh, you're you're screwing with our lives over here. What's wrong? Um, <laughs> but what's funny about what's great about Torsten is that he'll come into a rehearsal, and he basically plays rehearsal uh, like an improv scene. Which is so much fun to me. I, you know, I, I, I have a history of improv. I love doing it, and but but it's so funny because if you come in like word prepped and you're looking for your cues, you're not getting them. Okay, <laughs> and it's just and it, but that's not a bad thing. I actually love that because the emphasis doesn't become on what your line is; it becomes on what your thoughts are and what you're supposed to be saying next, like why you're saying what you're saying, which is more true to the moment. So it's actually it's it's a lot of fun to have because he'll come in and he'll say like he'll have this whole monologue and he'll say nothing like what's in his monologue, but it's the exact same thought process and it's the exact same. Um, um, frame of mind and the thoughts are the same. And, and then, you know, then we'll shoot it and he'll be much closer, you know, it'd be much more like what the script was, but he'll just come in. And I think it just likes, it gives him, it gives an extra edge. It, it adds a little, um, uh, more insight in a way to those scenes. And, uh, and then those scenes become more real. That's why I, I love doing shooting. I can shoot, I'll shoot with Torsten all day long because, not only will we blow through scenes because it's just almost effortless working with him, um, but it, it becomes fun. And it's like a, an experiment in not just do you know your lines, but do you know, do you really know what you're saying and are you really listening? And that's what, you know, that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing is to make real these, uh, these scenes that are on paper. So mm-hmm. it's so much fun to work with him. And I'm sorry if I, said anything in that impression he probably didn't say any of that ever but it's just like <laughs> just makes it just, funnier you know, i think that's a hall of fame impression i, I yeah think you did a great yes. great one like okay good a okay good to you. Um, I'll, I'll get better at it i've done it you know it's funny it's like a weekend to working on the show i came up and i just I, we, what's great about torsten is we're very similar in a lot of ways in that like I grew up, all the guys that I know, we give each other crap all the time. Like, that's just how we exist. Like, if I'm not making fun of you, then I probably don't like you. <laughs> and and he's, I think he's sort of that way. And there was one time about a weekend, I, I came up, I forgot what we were talking, we were talking about one of the scenes. 
and he said something. And then I did an, I did an, that impression in front of him. And I said, well, Torsten's just going to, you know, and I did that. <laughs> and, and he was like, was that supposed to be me? Really? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's it's pretty good, but now because because he doesn't like the impression, or doesn't he doesn't think it's him? I do it more often now. So. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're now my he just kind ignores of guy, me. Matthew Atkinson. <laughs> <laughs> um, now you mentioned before you came to B and B, you played another troubled character, YNR's Austin. So what was that experience like for you? It was a fun show to be on. It was uh, a bunch of great people over there. Um, when I first came on, it was. It's an interesting, it's so much different than B&B, which, you know, I never thought that it would be like that. But B&B has such a smaller cast. I mean, I can't remember how many people were on contract when I came into uh, to Young and the Restless, but there's a lot of people. I mean, I, 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 I think there's characters, I was there for a year. There are people that I never had scenes with that are contract actors on the show. That's um, crazy. It's just there's so many storylines and so many balls in the air, you know, and they're an hour long show. Um, and, and the way that they shot it, I mean, like we, we would do rehearsals in the morning and then we would do, you know, kind of rehearsals sometimes over lunch for the back half episode. We don't really have that with B and B with B and B. It's like we have rehearsal, which is really just blocking. And then we shoot everything and hopefully get out by four because then they have to take a lunch. And it's like, so we got, we, we just go, 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 go. Whereas YR felt a whole lot slower, but as far as my experience goes, um, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of really sweet people there. I have some, uh, some cool friendships with people that I made, uh, and I got close with, uh, in the first couple of months working on the show. And, um, and there, you know, there, there's a lot of really sweet people who work over there and it was a, it was a really fun experience. But I also think that, you know, uh, things happen for a reason. And at the time I was, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, cause Austin dies and I'm like, ah, well, crap. But at the same time, um, when I came onto the show, my my intention was to be there for basically no more than a year, and it's why in the beginning I didn't take a contract on that show. Um, I, but I really wanted to play a character on the show, and that's when they they came around with this character and they said, "Hey, it's a recurring character. Who knows what we're going to do with it? But I, we think you're great for it." And and I took it, and I had so much fun doing it and being there for that year. And I think that it, well, the the worst part of leaving the show is just leaving the relationships that I had, not having those those daily uh, conversations with uh, with Peter and with Kelly and with Rob and you know those those uh, the 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 awesome people. But now I get to to see them almost every day. You know, I run past Cameron or or Melissa on a regular basis, and so. Um, you know, we're, we're still all friends. It's just like, uh, you get so close with everyone that you shoot with on every show that you do. And especially on a soap opera, cause you're, you're in the trenches together trying to make this thing happen as, as best you can, uh, just with the hectic schedule that there is. So you get really close to these people. So it's a little weird to go from being so close to everyone to, you know, not talking to them because they're all still in the trenches. Um, but, you know, it was such a fun experience, and uh, I miss some of those people. And luckily, I, I still get to hang out with some of them, they're, and they're great, and, and they're doing some great work over there. So it's really cool. So your uh, first role in a feature film was a pretty big one uh, in The Blind Side. Uh, what stands out to you about, like, doing that project and, and even just, like, getting a role in such a high-profile pro- uh, project like that? 
That was so interesting. That's a, that, I mean, it just shows you that you can never really plan things. They just kind of, when things are meant to happen, they happen. It's so weird. So I, I auditioned for, I had the worst audition probably in my entire career. And I'll, I'll say that I kind of stick by it. Well, and I say, okay, maybe not the worst, but definitely the most awkward. What I felt like was the most awkward. And it was for a show called Drop Dead Diva. Um, I watched that and show. You what? I watched that show. You watched that show? Sure that was did. a fun, it was a, it was a cute show. show. Yeah. Yes, it was. So I, I ended up getting cast in that show as Kyle Nevins, the bartender at the Sun Bar and <laughs> da, da, da. And, and I remember uh, I was just there for one episode. Uh, but the audition for that, there was like a role that they had that I auditioned for. It's, it, it was a weird scenario. So this is what it's like being a, a, an actor in Atlanta. So at the time, I was in Atlanta. And a lot of stuff doesn't shoot in Atlanta at the time. A lot of stuff shot in North Carolina, um, and uh, so it was like. It, it, but that's not where any of this stuff shot. But it was like every once in a while you would end up driving to Wilmington, North Carolina, to to do an audition and then drive it back. And it's you know that's that's one crazy day. But for uh, Drop Dead Diva, I remember we drove down to um, at the time they were shooting at I think Peachtree City. And that's probably two hours from where I live. So I, I drove down there and um, I auditioned for this part that never ended up actually being a part. It was just a role that was mentioned in the show. And they said, uh, we have other sides. We want you to read for another role. So great. So they gave me the sides and then they brought me back as like a callback later that afternoon. So we, me and a couple of buddies who are all actors who are down there to audition uh, just went to a local place and played some pool and then came back a couple hours later to, to do the, the callbacks. And it was for that, that character, Kyle Nevins. But in the audition, they said, you know, are, do you want to, uh, uh, have you ever bartended before? I said, yeah, I'm a bartender. Like I, 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 I do that. I do a thousand jobs right now, but, you know, trying to save a lot of money so I can go be, uh, uh, an actor in LA. So, you know, so, so, but I was like, yeah, I'm a bartender. And they said, okay, do you have any like things you do while you're, you know, cause we did the scene and it was, it was a lot of fun, but then it was like, they they were like, okay, so they wanted like, some cocktail like tricks. <laughs> yeah. They was like, do, do some flair stuff. I'm like, okay. So then I, so I'm here in this audition room, miming, doing, uh, 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 bartending, like I'm pretending to pour drinks and I'm like, I'm doing some flair because I was like, yeah, this is fun. I love to spin bottles and stuff like that. And I did have a lot of fun doing that because, you know, it's more fun. And so I'm doing that. I look, I think back on it. I'm like, I look like an idiot right now. This guy who's just moving his hands around and pretending to do this while he's doing the scene. And they ended up casting me in the role, which I was like, I cannot believe they did that. That was the worst audition I ever had. I look like a moron. And then about, I think it was like a couple of weeks later, um, I get a phone call from my agent and he says, Hey, so, uh, this interesting thing happened. I said, what? He's like, okay, so they're casting for the movie, the blind side, and they need this role. It's a valet. Uh, they, they basically called us and said, Hey, we need an actor for this role. It shoots really quick. We're not probably going to audition. It's not a scripted role, but we want the actor to talk. So it's basically just improv, um, and short thing, you know, Hey, what's going on, whatever they can talk. They're basically a day player or whatever. Do you have someone we can use? And my agent said, okay, uh, yeah, I mean, I have this, this guy I think would be great for it. And he's like, uh, do you want to 
see something from him? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, I'll get the tape from the Drop Dead Diva because he's like, <laughs> that, that audition booked me the role. He didn't know how stupid I felt. So he's like, I'll just send that over to him. So he gets that audition. He sends it over to them and they ended up booking me for, so I'm like, uh, at this point, I don't even know. What, don't take your skills away from you. I, I, I can't believe that, but probably the worst audition I ever had or that's where I felt like a complete idiot is what booked me two roles. So, um, and that, but that was such a cool experience and it's, you know, sort of one of those, uh, you walk on a set, I have so many stories from that, but you know, like, I mean, I'm working with Sandra Bullock and she introduced herself as Sandy. So now when I talk to people, I'm like, oh yeah, I know Sandy. Um, <laughs> I don't know Sandra Bullock at all, but I get to talk to her all night and she's such a sweet person and it's, that's just so cool. I sat there and, uh, uh, waiting to, to shoot our scene. Uh, and I, and I sat uh, standing there talking to a guy about the, the car we were driving. I'm in the cars and yeah, there's this guy there and he's next to me. And for a second I was like, Oh, this crew guy. And he starts talking to me about the car and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And we start talking about it and we go back and forth. It's like, Oh, that's kind of cool. I've had, you know, I had this SUV and da, 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 and, da, da. and you know, we'd have this, uh, this conversation and then they say, okay, first team in. And which means, you know, all the lead actors, because they have like stand-ins who come in and, and they do the lighting for on, you know, movies and TV shows and stuff. And then those guys will leave that second team and first team comes in. That's the, the actors to, to do the rehearsal. And the guy I'm standing there talking to just walks over the driver, driver's seat and gets in the car. And I'm like, holy crap, I've been talking to Tim McGraw <laughs> for like 15 minutes. And I had no idea it was him because he wasn't wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> and it's just, and, but it's also kind of a testament to how cool that guy is. I mean, that you know, you, you talk to him for 15 minutes. He's just, you know, the most normal guy. Just talks about cars, and then, you know, he's this uh, incredibly famous and t- incredibly talented guy. It's 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 uh, it's really cool. That is cool. Um, now you also appeared on One Tree Hill, another favorite of mine. Um, what stands out to you about that show? <laughs> Well, now it's a completely different standout. So uh, at the time, that was my first acting gig. That was like, you know, I was trying to be an actor. I was auditioning for stuff. I had done, I don't know, maybe the most low-budget commercial in the world and something in place. You know, that was it. And um, and I got this audition. That was one of those auditions you go to Wilmington, North Carolina for, for the callback because you send in a tape and then they say, oh, we like these three guys. We want to come read. And I went and I read and it, it worked worked out amazingly. It was so awesome because that weekend was the weekend they were doing their holiday party. And I, I shot for, I think I shot Thursday, Friday, and then again on Monday. But over that weekend was the holiday party. So I got invited to the holiday party and got to hang out with the entire cast and stuff, which I never would have gotten it done or never would have expected to get to do as a, you know, a little guest star, possible recurring sort of character came onto a show. Um, and in that I got to play an actor pretending to be another person who's already on the show and has been for years, um, which was fun and cool. It was, you know, small little role, but it was my, my first acting gig, so it was huge to me. And then years later, I I mean, I, I ended up becoming friends with Stephen Coletti and with uh, James Lafferty, who I was basically pretending to be while I was on the show. And we just did uh, a show together. We just uh, shot a um, – the, uh, uh, Stephen and James have produced and wrote this incredibly funny series that they're, uh, that they're uh, now pitching around a network trying to find a home for. And it's so funny and it's so good. 
Uh, and, you know, uh, we just through happenstance ended up crossing paths again and talking and, and I ended up, uh, they, they kind of said, we think you're great for this role. And, uh, I came in and I did a, a, like, I think I did three episodes with them of that. And we'll see, you know, if the show gets picked up for another season. Um, that's cool. Full circle. So, yeah. So it's like these people that I, that I looked up to and it was like, Oh my God, this is, I'm on a real set and I'm like, I'm working with actors who've been on the show for years and years and I'm freaking out. You know, I don't know what the heck I'm saying. And I think I look like a moron the whole time and I have no idea what I'm doing. And then a couple of years later, you know, it's like we're peers and we're shooting the show together because we know each other. That's the weirdest thing in the world. Um, I can only also another probably testament to how cool those guys are because they're, they're just such humble, awesome dudes. So uh, you were a series regular also on Jane by design. Uh, what was it like to now have like a study gig on a, you know, series like that? Well, that was awesome because it, it reminded me of One Tree Hill. So we, we, I mean, One Tree Hill started as a show for, you know, uh, high school age, you know, people, uh, adolescents and, you know, coming up in life and dealing with all that, the teenage angst sort of stuff. And, uh, and then I got to LA and, and, I mean, that's, uh, you, you can't write this stuff. It's just it, how fortunate I was to be in the right place at the right time. But, you know, we, we started shooting, um, well, I, so I was in LA for probably, I don't know, I can't even remember, maybe nine months before I booked that gig. I was there in LA less than a year. And then I got a series regular on a show that never happens. That doesn't happen. Um, and it was for a show that it was, uh, really fun and cute and similar in tone to that One Tree Hill thing, which is like when I showed up on One Tree Hill, I looked at the set and I watched the people work and I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I, I, it just reinforced what I wanted to do for a living. And then year, a couple of years later, I'm in LA and I'm doing that for a living in the same position of the people that I was looking up to. Um, wow. Uh, and just, it's, it was such an incredible experience and that was such a fun show. And, you know, we shot, um, I think we shot a first half of the first season and then we got picked up for a second half. And then, you know, like with a lot of shows, it didn't go, but honestly, I thought it was a, it didn't go to a second season, but we were, I thought it was a really cute show and, and we had a lot of great plans for a second season and it's sad that it didn't happen, but you know, that's a lesson you got to learn, especially in television shows get canceled, um, regularly. The fact that we even got picked up in the first place is a blessing. So, um, it's such a cool experience. I watched that one too. I feel like I just have watched every show you've been on, Matthew. Oh, oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wasn't was it such a soon. cute show? It was so it was. fun. It was adorable. It's like, you Devil Wears Prada, but with a One Tree Hill twist. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. And now tell us when you are not at Bold and Beautiful, uh, what do you do in your spare time? A lot of stuff. Um, it's hard for me to stop moving. I, I, I'm very active. I love to uh, – I'm, I'm always working out. Um, if I'm not working out, then I'm probably playing a sport or I am – uh, hiking or camping. I love being outdoors. I'm an Eagle Scout. So I kind of grew up in the woods and I love getting away and just getting into nature as much as possible. So, um, frequent trips to Yosemite and Joshua tree and, and wherever I can go, um, this time of year right now, because, uh, well, I used to be a skateboarder 
in Georgia for years and years. And I loved doing that. And at one point I was like, I'm going to be a pro skater. Um, and, uh, but I never really snowboarded because we, I mean, in Georgia, we didn't really get snow and I moved around the South, but never ended up in a place that had snow. Uh, and in California, you can get to snow pretty quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. it's weird that you can surf and snow in the same day if you really want to. So, um, I started getting back into snowboarding. I had done it once when I was a kid and, and now, uh, I have a lot of fun doing that. I try and plan as many trips as I can to the mountains and see snow and go snowboarding whenever I can. So like, uh, next week I'll be in Colorado and the Rockies. And, uh, a couple weeks ago I was in Tahoe, uh, snowboarding there. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm basically, I, I don't stop moving and I don't stop trying to find adventures and trying to be a little wild. So, uh, you know, that, I guess if that's just me, it's always been who I am. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like storyline or character growth, what is on your wish list for Thomas uh, in 2020? Wish list for Thomas in 2020. Wow. Uh, I guess there's, I have a lot of wishes for Thomas and uh, are we talking about like what, I don't know. So I guess it's, it's twofold. So one is I, I want Thomas to get better. I think everyone wants Thomas to get better. I want Thomas to see reality. I mean, this is this famous, good looking heir to the Forrester fortune guy. I mean, he is, you know, in the, the, the character uh, description, I remember the first time I read the character description, it was like, you know, every guy wants to be him. All the ladies' eyes are on him. And, you know, the world's eyes are on him as this fashion icon, young designer guy who's up and coming and da, da, da. Yeah, on paper, and he's got it all. Come on. Exactly. On paper, he's got it all. And in reality, he has it all. However, I love playing Crazy Thomas. It's so much fun to try and figure out why this guy is how he is and how obsessive he becomes and when he intimidates people and when he uh, threatens people and when he chooses to manipulate situations in kind of an ingenious way. That's a lot of fun to shoot. So kind of, I guess, selfishly as Matt, I would love, uh, you know, just keep being crazy, dude. I don't know. It's fun. (laughs) Well, after this conversation like running into you at the Emmys or something and asking you to fix me a mimed cocktail is now on my 2020 wish list. Oh, great. Great. That's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Hopefully they let me behind the bar and I can actually use a couple of uh, my actual tricks. Otherwise, yeah, I'll just look like an idiot in front of everyone at the Emmys. Hey, it might get you a whole other job. Yeah, you know, exactly. you never You're know. right. You're right. If it, apparently people who see me pretend. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll be in an Oscar-nominated film because I pretended to mime cocktails in front of you. You're welcome. In advance. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, we thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great to talk to you. Yeah, it's so much fun being on here. Let's uh, let's do it again sometime. Definitely. All right, have a good one, Matthew. All right, you too. Thank Thank you. you. Okay, Bye. bye bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Matthew Atkinson for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro. 
cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.